Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Back into it. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. Well, here's one. Uh, this one got rather heated in the legislature earlier today after Monday when uh, discussing the closure of these opioid crisis centers by the Ford government. Uh, they've decided that, uh, I guess, three of them, two of which are in Toronto, are going to lose their funding and legal status. Uh, two more that uh, have not yet opened would be under review. Uh, and so... Because uh, we've got people in downtown Toronto who access these places. One's at Dundas Square. The other is, uh, I guess, in Kensington Market. And a third is uh, Dundas and Sherburne. So, uh, because Doug Ford's decided to do this, Andrea Horvath took it up with him and invoked the memory of his late brother and his trials and tribulations with drugs. This is what Andrea Horvath told reporters uh, after uh, question period. She was asked, I guess, no, this is what she told reporters after yesterday's question period. For this premier particularly, who we know had a, a family member uh, that had serious uh, you know, drug addiction problems, to turn his back on all those families who are worried about their loved ones, who are going to possibly lose their lives because they don't have access uh, to safe facilities uh, to utilize their, uh, their drugs, is, is absolutely uh, it's horrifying. And, it, it's, and I say shame on him. All right, well, shame on him. She, uh, he said in return, uh, shame on you, Andrea. Some reporters questioned whether she owed Doug Ford, an apology. Was she offside, Alyssa, or was she making a poignant, impactful point uh, bringing Rob Ford into the equation? You know, when I listen to that clip again, the one thing I notice is the way that she's saying it. Normally, Andrea Horvath, when she's angry about something, she's she's very articulate and there's not a lot of hums, haws. And I think that as soon as that came out of her mouth, I think she realized that that was the wrong thing to do because the rest of her statement was not as crisp. She just could have left that family member part out and then just started, what are you doing? Why aren't you thinking more? about the families. And yes, I think in this case, in order to put a lid on this, I would advise her and just say, I'm sorry, I was out of line and I should not have talked about your brother. Rocco, I mean, you know, pushing an emotional hot button like that. Is that fair dinkum in politics? Uh, no, I think it I think it is over the line. I think it's a, a fair point to debate the issue of where and how many um, crisis centers are, are required. Andrea is absolutely right to take that on as an issue. Uh, but I think introducing family, I mean, the last thing a brother needs to know is, you know, what happened to his brother. He knows that he lives that every day. Uh, and and that's just not on. It's just not appropriate. Was she going low on this one, Kev? Oh, there's no doubt that uh, I think her comments were grossly inappropriate. I think Alyssa's perfectly bang on. I mean, she used the words horrid or horrified. She said it was shameful or she was ashamed and that he turned his back on these types of people, implying that he turned his back, he's in effect turning his back on his brother. <clears throat> her, her, you know, under the crisis communications world would be very simple. Stand up, say you let your emotions get away with you, and as a result, you said things that were grossly inappropriate and you apologize, uh, and, and you live to fight another day. And do it tomorrow, like don't wait. Yeah, just, just do it because it was wrong. 
So in other words, uh, if she doesn't and she tries to somehow rationalize or explain it, it just redounds against her, makes her look mean-spirited? It just makes her look non-empathetic. And if there's one thing that Andrea Horvath has always prided herself on is being uh, having empathy, having empathy to the underdog, is. and I that she and, her, and and that I and I full marks. and that I think that, like I say, I think as soon as she said it, she realized it was the wrong thing to say, and to not apologize. I mean, just look what's going on with the federals. Just look what's going on with the Liberal Party federally right now by not apologizing up front or not doing something up front, and keep doubling down on the story, hoping that this will turn it off. And this is an easier instance for a politician That's right. to actually just look like a normal human being for which they too seldom look. Just admit you made a mistake. It was the heat of the moment. I think we all as human beings can relate to saying something inappropriate in the heat of, in, in the heat of a moment. I know I do. Um, and although when it's thinking at home, mm. when it's pointed out, I'm quick to just roll over and recognize I made a mistake, say I'm sorry, and move on. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, perhaps, yeah, our politics are becoming uh, coarsened, uh, which seems pretty obvious, self-evident. Here's another contentious issue, and, uh, you know, the rollout of the carbon tax yesterday, and uh, where the Conservatives made a point of going to the gas stations the night before, uh, filling up. They're going to put stickers at the gas station saying this tax is going to cost you four and a half cents on a liter, and so on and so forth. And yet, uh, at the same time, we're getting a report out from uh, Environment and Climate Change Canada. It's called Canada's Changing Climate Report. They document since 1948 that the annual average temperature over land in Canada has warmed 1.7 degrees Celsius. Higher rates in the north, the prairies in northern British Columbia. Uh, This also leads to an increase in extreme fire weather and water supply shortages, uh, heightened risk of coastal flooding. It's a real dire uh, outlook. In fact, at worst case scenario, if we don't do any serious addressing of it, even beyond the Paris climate targets, we could see high emission scenario 6.3 degrees Celsius increase by end of the century. I mean, what does this say to you, Rocco Rossi? I mean, the fact that uh, this is going to obviously impact our economy, if we really go into it all in, uh, is that a trade-off we need to make? It's an existential threat? Look, I I think that uh, climate change is real and uh, the Canadian Chamber movement is is on board with that, but uh, that doesn't uh, give an excuse to bad policy. This is not a climate change uh, policy that's been introduced. It is, as our uh, national CEO, Perrin Beattie, has put it, um, a, a disguised income redistribution plan because you are promising the consumer that they're actually going to get back more in rebates than they put out. The only way you do that is to take it out of the hide of businesses uh, to make up that difference. So two things. One, how are you actually changing behavior if you're going to give people back more than what they put out? It's kind of like saying, I want you to stop smoking and you're going to pay more, but don't worry, I'm going to give it all back to you at the end of the year. I mean, that's not going to change anything. And if all you're doing is disguising an attack on business, making it more difficult, more costly to do business in Canada, making us less competitive, that's not going to help climate. It's not going to help our economy. It's not going to help jobs that they say that they they care about. Um, this is bad policy disguised as good virtue signaling. Or wealth redistribution, if right. the heavy emitters, you know, the big companies are the ones who are hit, and the money sort of yeah. gets paid back. And, to- and look, let's not forget, Ontario, after Harper signed the Paris Accord, Ontario, and let's give them full credit, 
paid an enormous price uh, by by shutting down all of coal. I would argue that Ontario has already paid the single largest carbon tax of any jurisdiction in Canada because of what happened to hydro rates in order to shut down coal faster than any other place in North America. We paid at home and we keep paying that. So to say now you've got to add on and you've got to be taxed yet again, that's outrageous behavior by the federal government. All right. Uh, well, there's still a component to this. More, that, uh, more. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to sit back. Well, hold on a second. He sucked the oxygen out of the room. My goodness. He's taken up both of your CO2. time. I have a point to make, but well, you'll have to hang this, on. After this commercial. You will. Well, uh, you know, because there is another component to this whole story, and it has to do with uh, the provincial government going on the war path against the carbon tax. Rightfully or wrongly, we'll find out in a moment with our panel on The Oakley Show. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.